What have you got there, mate? Just a glass of wine. All right. How is it? It's all right, I guess. I mean, obviously, it's not really delicious, like a pint from Beer 52. Well, it's a good job that this episode of Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs is sponsored by Beer 52, the world's number one beer club. With Beer 52, you'll receive a case of beer every month featuring craft beers from all over the world, including Belgium, California, New Zealand and more. As well as getting eight free beers, you'll also receive the award-winning magazine Ferment, as well as a couple of different snacks. Perfect for a night in, or an innocent picnic in the park. For the last time, it was a picnic. You couldn't see the snacks. We had two different types of snacks. Best of all, you can pause or cancel your membership at any time, so you don't need to worry about the ombudsman coming to get you if you want to take a break from your membership. So seriously, what are you waiting for? If you want to get started with a free case of beer, head to beer52.com forward slash peep to access your first case for free. Eight beers, Beer 52. Eight. That's insane. All you need to do is pay the £5.95 for postage. And don't worry if you're not a fan of dark beers, there is a light option available. So that's beer52.com forward slash peep to get your first Beer 52 case for free. Poor me. Poor me. Pour me another glass from Beer 52. Cheers. Hello, this is Paul Clayton, a.k.a. Sophie's dad. And you're listening to Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs. Sod you all. Hello and welcome to Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs, a podcast all about discussing and reviewing the British sitcom Peep Show. My name's Tom Harrison and I'm joined as always by Rob Graham. Hello! And this week we're going to be discussing episode 4 of series 7, which is called Nether Zone. How's your week been, Rob? Yeah, it's been good. I've been back at work. Um, I think we recorded the last episode just on the eve of me going back. So we've been back a little while now. Um, and to be fair, by the time this episode comes out, I'll have finished for ready for the Christmas holidays. So yeah, all's looking good. Christmas shopping's done. I'm... So far, so good in terms of not catching COVID or not being in contact with anyone who's caught it. So yeah, Christmas is Christmas. I'm excited for Christmas. I'm I'm looking forward to it. How about you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it seems like just survival at the moment is, is a good thing with everything COVID related. But particularly, yeah, you don't want to get it just before Christmas, do you? So um, yeah, same old for me to be honest. Like we're we're just sorting through the new house. Um, I actually got my Christmas shopping done really quite early for the most part, so I've just got a couple of little bits left uh, to pick up, which I'm gonna I need to do because I've actually been putting that off, so I don't want to leave it too late. But yeah, all good, thank you. Good, good, good. Well, I'm really, really looking forward to this episode today. Yeah, me too. Absolutely, I think this is a great episode. Um, just want to shout out at the top of the episode as as usual, all of our patrons. We've had a f- couple of new ones since the the last one aired. Um. Yeah, we have. So Simon Darlington and Eleanor Wall, you missed the cutoff for us recording on Tuesday by about 10 minutes. Literally, they came through just as Tom and I finished recording. So you two are our latest two new patrons and you join. I'm trying to do this in chronological order. Uh, we have got Darren Friedrich, Robert Horvath, Dave Pink, Mike Kavanagh, Trisha Atenzia, Laurie Johnson, Daniel Thompson, Andrew Mason, Doug Simpson, Tom Burton, Jessica Isler, Tim Chamberlain, Jonathan Gardner, John C. Ralston, Joshua Herbertson, Peter Frost, Stuart Hill, Ash Krishna, Isaac Miley Morgan, John Barker, Dee Bizzle, Sarah McDaniel, Steve Morano, 
uh, Olivia Kalmas Hoy, Nick Hetherington, Ashley Duffield, and Benjamin Price. Oh, hey, there they are. All 35 or so now? Yeah, 34, I think. Army. Yeah. yeah, amazing. And yeah. yeah, it is just brilliant. I think, like, shout out. I know lots of podcasts do patrons and lots of podcasts do these, like, Kofi or whatever they're called, um, type sponsorship things. But yeah, massive shout out to 34 people who are willing to give some of their hard-earned cash back to supporting our podcast so massive massive thank you for doing that yeah absolutely and as always if you're interested in checking out our patreon then i will leave a link in the description below but let's move on to the synopsis of nether zone and then we'll share our sort of general opening thoughts and i believe uh, as is now sort of tradition you've gathered some of our listener uh, opinions as well, well you? i have there's a, a plethora of them so we'll we'll rattle through as many as we can in the time we've got cool all right well the synopsis for nether zone it's the day of Mark's son's christening, and of all the days to be colossally late, the Eldude brothers end up trapped in the now infamous Nether Zone after Mark goes to pick up Jeremy from Zara's flat. But will they manage to escape with their lives and make it in time for the christening before the air supply runs out? So, what did you think? Well, I think I made my thoughts quite clear last week. Uh, this is my favourite episode of the series, and it's probably, probably got reason to be one of my favourites, if not the favourite of the entire um, like entire run of Peep Show. It's, it's such a good episode. Like, it's these sort of bottle episodes are always really good when it's just the two main characters playing off against each other. We really see the sort of interactions that Mark and Jez have. It really encapsulates the, the, the feeling of being locked down and how, and obviously this episode came out way before uh, lockdowns were a thing with with COVID, but I think when the the lockdowns did happen, a lot of people said the way that Mark and Jez respectively deal with being stuck in this nether zone is how people were either one or the other when it came to being stuck in lockdown uh, in 2020. I think it's just fantastic. I know a lot of people sort of point out plot holes and 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 little things that could have saved them and and all of these sort of little things. But I think just as an entire episode, it really reminds me um, of you know the Breaking Bad episode. That's the Fly episode that sort of become that sort of archetypal artistic yes. episode. That is how I feel about this episode. I just think it is so brilliantly done, and you really get to the base level of what Mark and Jez are about and what makes them tick in terms of how they respond and react to each other. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's funny you mentioned the the Breaking Bad episode, The Fly, because that's an interesting comparison because I actually hadn't heard of the term bottle episode. I didn't know that that sort of thing had an, a name. Um, so that, that was quite interesting to learn this week. But I think it is a, a, a just... You know, it's testament to the writing for Peep Show here because it's the writing, along with, of course, David and Robert, like, that just carries this episode. Because not only is it sort of, a, you know, the bottle episode in the sense that it, it takes place in, you know, pretty much one setting the entire time, but it's a very boring setting to have it sort of in the airlock, as Mark calls it. Um, it is just a mind-knowingly boring setting, and the two of them just carry the entire thing with fantastic writing and fantastic acting, um, but with the with the Breaking Bad one, the Fly, that's that's probably the only episode of Breaking Bad I didn't particularly enjoy. Whereas for Peep Show and, and this example, um, like you say, it's probably not like my favorite, but it is certainly up there in a 
I don't know, at least in my top 10, maybe in my top five. Um, so yeah, just sometimes I think before we started recording, you were talking about this being like a, a bit of a Marmite episode, but for, for me, and obviously it seems like you as well, it's, it's very much a love. Yeah. And I can see why people don't like it. And like, I can sort of sympathize with that sort of point of view. To be honest, I put a poll out on Twitter just before we started recording. Um, and it's had about 400 people come back and I sort of said, it's a Marmite episode. What do you think? Do you love it or hate it? And I think 88% of people at this point, as I'm recording, 88% of people have said they love it. So it's clearly, I think, looking at the fan opinions that we've sort of picked up, and I'll, I'll read a few of those out now, it is clear that it does have a special place in people's hearts for, for, a, for a lot of reasons. I think we'll delve into those reasons as we go through. Um, but the, the comedy doctor on, uh, on Twitter, she said um, it's her favourite. Bottle episodes are her thing. I'm surprised the writers waited so long to give us one. And I do think it's quite a... It's not... I wouldn't say it's necessarily underused in, in, in TV, but I think it's underused in comedies. You don't very often get these sort of bottle uh, two-hander episodes too often in comedy. So I do think she's got a point there. Uh, one of our patrons, Jonathan Gardner, said, aside from putting in motion the mayhem of the episode, I wonder what um, about Jez jezzing the French press. Uh, French press is a cafetiere, I think. Um, as unsophisticated as Jeremy can be and as clumsy, shouldn't his character be familiar with how to operate a French press? So I think jo Jonathan's worrying about the real nitty gritty. Uh, Tom Batty on Twitter said, when Mark tries to guess Sophie's phone number in Zara's flat, why would they not just get it from Jer's, Jeremy's phone? Which I do sort of take that as a point. Um, and then two people have said, uh, Jamie Durant, who actually came on to our um, phone-in special, all that all the many months ago to talk about this particular episode said there's no name for this episode it's so unusual um Jazar said really encapsulates Jez's flanderization into being a complete idiot if it's the cops don't open the door imagining a letterbox hair shield thinking the air supply will run out um he thinks all of it would have made a lot more sense if he'd been stoned before Mark came over uh Graham Graham of Rivia said, didn't appreciate this one at first, but after repeated viewings, I have to say it's truly brilliant. Jez's solutions to escape the zone and Mark's descent into despair and frustration is stuff of comic genius. Uh, Michael Lee said, it's an absolute classic. They're literally, they're literally trapped rather than just metaphorically. With all the other characters in Peep Show, it's great that the two of them can sh showcase their chemistry and there's some fantastic one-liners and it keeps going on and on. George Fairhurst said, Nether Zone is Marmite, but in his opinion, the people who dislike this episode are the ones that sit around clicking their fingers to the sound of the Lighthouse family. Like all good Peep Show, it features pessimism, panic and weirdly piss. Always laugh at Mark's incredulous outbursts. I'm not going to have time to read all of these out, but on the whole, most people are very, very positive and um sort of talking about it being the very core of their characters um almost in microcosm yeah i completely agree with that definitely and like i say i said earlier you know it's just a testament to the writing where they've created that like sam and jesse have created two characters who are so good and not individually and as as a pair you know and and david and, and robert at this point are like a really established comedy duo at this point so their chemistry is just super on point as well so it just it just shines through like everything you love about peep show comes down and it is like distilled into into this episode there's no no fanciness there's there's no dog eating like the big theatrics to you know get you through it it's just 
pure like comedy gold i think and it's quite funny actually i was reading uh twitter over the weekend and simon blackwell has been live tweeting the rerun of back series one and he was talking about how he really enjoyed the scene where um the two guys go off just in the car they go on that road trip together to go and find out about their dad's um sort of escapades at wherever that farm was and they discover whatever they discover but simon said that was a really good point for them just to get down to that nitty-gritty chemistry of the way that david and robert just act against each other and just um that obviously the chemistry they've had since they were 18 and they've been acting together for sort of 30 years now um they 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 know each other inside out and they know exactly how to to work it um but i thought that was quite interesting um and one of our um patrons actually doug said that it's a like an integral part of the series without it sort of chronologically stands alone there's literally no mention of anything else in mark's life other than the christening there's no mention of dobby whatsoever um and actually he alluded back to when Robert Webb spoke um, about Mark and Jez coping in lockdown. And he said that they're always in a kind of metaphorical lockdown with each other. Um, and that this sort of proves that the lockdown sort of extends beyond just being in the flat with each other. Mm, yeah, I like that point a lot. Yeah, definitely about this sort of metaphorical lockdown or like being trapped, um, just, yeah, spilling out into <laughs> into reality. Uh, I'm not sure. It's a, it's a good, interesting point from Doug. I'm not sure whether it you know it's a total standalone because we get we get quite a lot of development between Jez and Zara which is of course you know the other half of the the ongoing story um for this series so there, there's still definitely a lot going on i suppose the but a good 15 16 minutes of the episode there is no one else in it i do i do understand what you mean that it's not quite standalone because and ultimately mark not being there for ian's christening has its own ramifications as well so there are there are still plot points that develop further but i think in terms of you sort of forget for a minute what's going on in mark's world in terms of dobby being the central point of mark's storyline in this series and it's as though she doesn't exist yeah no so yeah he's so focused on this one thing whereas jeremy you know that's part of the comedy where he kind of just he's stumbling around like his attention is just grabbed to anything and everything that you know comes into vision um whereas mark is so painstakingly focused on this one thing he needs to do and jeremy just holding him back at every possible opportunity yeah which creates for some great comedy absolutely right shall we get started properly then let's do it So this episode begins with Mark calling Jeremy as he's preparing for the pair of them to go to baby Ian, who hasn't actually been called Ian yet, but we'll, we'll get to that later, uh, his christening. However, what's unusual here is where they both are, as Jeremy is surprisingly found at Zara's flat, having stayed over the night before, and Mark's in a phone box. And just to open things up, like, what did you think of this opening, like, of the episode opening at Zara's? Because that has happened very quickly like we've been barely creeping like an inch an episode and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah it's actually happened well somebody made an interesting point last week about whether nether zone follows on directly from the end of a beautiful mind which i don't think it can do because there's no mention of the christening in the end of a beautiful mind and then suddenly they're at the christening and you'd have thought if the night before had then directly led on to this then we'd have 
had some more of idea but i i don't know like i can imagine jeremy could probably get zara into bed relatively easily so i can imagine if they were in the flat together they'd had a couple of glasses of wine one thing led to another i can imagine that it sort of happened relatively organically and that um I'm not so surprised by it. It's Jeremy, after all. It's Zara. Um, and at the end of the episode, without spoiling it, Zara basically knocks it on the head. So I don't think it meant particularly a lot to her, even if it maybe did to Jez. So, yeah, the short answer is I'm not surprised to learn where Jez is. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it's interesting that, you know, this relationship starts and ends <laughs> in this one episode, um, which I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about... Um, about Zara in recent episodes and how we don't really think, you know, this was doomed before it even began. So, yeah, it's it's not particularly surprising that they, we're going to crash and burn in the same episode. Well, it starts and ends again in the New Year's episode, doesn't it? Like, at the beginning of the New Year episode, they get back on, and then by the end of it, it's gone again. So he's not doing particularly well at keeping her for any particularly long point of time. But, yeah, like you said, Mark's in the phone box... Um, and he's waiting for Jez at the, the train station because they're, they're going to be going to the, the christening. Um, and Jeremy's main bone of contention is not the fact that he's running really, really late and hasn't even left the house yet. It's that Mark's in a phone box. I'm in a phone box. What are you doing in a phone box? Have you put a farthing in the slot? Hey, Mark's in a phone box. Is it an ironic thing? Are you doing it ironically? No, I've simply got rid of my mobile. You've what? Oh my God, this is massive. What are you going to do next? Move into a hut and start drinking your own piss? We've got a landline. Times are hard, Jeremy. I'm putting my clarinet on eBay. I'm making my own hummus. This is the end times. For the period of time this was, what year was this? 2010? Yeah, it would have been about 2010. To make a decision to get rid of your mobile 2010 is quite a big decision. I think, yeah, he's gone so extreme here. Like, I don't remember him doing any of these things, you know, after JLB collapsed, which was like his career. And yet he's just lost a job, you know, something that he's picked up on the, you know, quite quickly afterwards. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, he's he's going to like extreme lengths to save a bit of cash. And it's funny you say like, even now that like, you can pick up a, a phone pretty damn cheaply. So to not even... Like, fair enough, I guess, sell his phone if he had an expensive, you know, Apple or Samsung. But you can pick up a pay-as-you-go phone for, like, a tenner at this point. So, like, Mark's saying times are hard. Like, I don't think they're that hard. Like, everyone needs a phone. <laughs> yeah, get yourself on GiftGaff. It's about eight quid a month. You can pick <laughs> up a pick up a little bog-standard, like, Blackberries were all the I suppose Blackberries were quite expensive. And you do just think Mark has ramped it up. He's gone from, like, zero to 100. I'm getting rid of everything. I'm doing all of this sort of stuff. Which does make me question, in the end, why they're... Um, if they're so broke, why he's then going to try and get a taxi to oh, yeah. uh, the wedding. Like, that is a ridiculous thing. Uh, the, the christening, sorry. Yeah, um, a yeah. cab would be incredibly expensive. Um, you know, th- these guys are in Croydon. Sophie's parents live, you know, way out in the countryside somewhere. So this fare would just be astronomically high. And yeah, you're right. This is someone who has just resorted to selling their phone because apparently it's too much of a luxury. So yeah, these two things are totally at odds with each other. Yeah, really, really strange. Um, 
And Jeremy sort of questions him and says, what, what if I need to contact you? What if I take a mega trip and forget who I am? Like, comes up with all these things. What's going to happen to me? It's always straight back to how is this bad situation going to affect me? Um, and Mark says, look, where are you? I'm going to come and get you. And, and Jez says, I'm at Zara's. And Mark does that brilliant delivery that he does so many times when Jez the last time I remember him doing it is in the hospital when Mark walks in and sees Jez sitting there by Ben's bedside and then Zara walks in and Mark just goes, oh, I see. And this is almost identical to that delivery where it's, oh, right, as in, I know exactly why you're over at Zara's. But Jeremy tries to deflect it and says, like, we were doing some work, it got late, I stayed over. Um, And they decide, like, get ready, I'm going to come over, pick you up in this cab and we're going to go off. Um, yeah, and... Uh, Jeremy adds in his monologue that he's he's won this free cab ride to the christening, another win for the lazy man, which I just thought, yeah, that pretty much sums up your entire life. <laughs> and to further sum up his life, he then decides to uh, sort of push down on the cafetiere to get himself a coffee before he leaves, um, which doesn't fit with the fact that he's about to leave and ends up pushing down the, I don't know what you call that part of the cafetiere, um, but pushes it down slightly aggressively and it goes all over his trousers. Yeah, totally drenched. That must that must hurt as well, like hot coffee. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, he's then left uh, to, to panic and find out how the hell is he going to uh, prepare for the christening. And we, we skip forward then to Mark arriving to pick him up. And uh, we find that Jeremy's resorted to putting his trousers in the washing machine, which is, of course, going to take forever. I do have one slight plot hole point I want to bring in here. If Mark knew how to get to Zara's house, how did he not know the address when they were trying to get the locksmith? Ooh, excellent point. Hadn't thought of that. Yeah. No, he'd have had to get the cabbie, would have had to have the address to be able to get him there. So he'd have looked at the number on the door. Like He must have known how how to get there. So... I'm not going to delve too much into plot holes because I like this episode. Um, so yeah, they they they're waiting for the washing machine to to finish, um, and Jeremy comes out with a lot of very good lines here, and he just says, "How long is this going to take? How long does a washing machine take?" Could be like 15 minutes. Could be like 18 hours. I normally just bang it in and leave it for a couple of days. It's so frustrating. I can see them, but I can't get to them. We'll buy you some trousers on the way. We we need to leave now. Great, Tesco trousers. Ben's! I can get them back by tonight. You'll never know the difference. Oh, great. Steal his woman, steal his trousers. You and your wicked willy. Has it never occurred to you that two human beings of the opposite gender could have a simple human relationship without sex being involved? You think you know me so well, but you don't. Jeremy, you once told me that chairs make you feel horny. And at this point, Mark doesn't even know that Jeremy has, in fact, slept with Zara. Oh, I think he does. I think this is Jeremy. Jeremy's protests are, are sort of falling on uh, on deaf ears. I think we all know there's only one reason that he would stay over at her flat. Yeah, very true. Yeah, maybe I'm granting Mark with not enough intelligence. So talking of not having a great deal of intelligence, they they leave the flat. They make their way downstairs to to go, and Mark realizes that the door is locked from the inside, which. I looked at that door and I thought, is that one of those doors that you can just, like most those sort of doors, you can just turn the lock, but I'm presuming it's then been, it's been double locked. 
Yeah, I think Jeremy mentions the fact that it, it must have been double locked. I'm guessing he's been around there once or twice, and yeah, he, he must have seen it in action. What I thought that you can see as they get to the door, like as they reach the front door and find themselves locked in, like you can see someone has literally just left through that door. There is what looks like a, a woman, like the glass is a bit frosted, but looks like a woman is literally just on the other side of that door. And just like, <laughs> first of all, I just thought, like, how rude, like, not to hold the door open for someone, like, behind them. But this, just to think this entire nightmare for Mark, like, could have been avoided if this one person had shown a little bit of extra courtesy and held the door open to them. Also, surely if the woman was that close, Mark could have hammered on the door and yeah. drawn the attention. Like, if she's not even at the end of the pathway, at the end of the door, at the end of the um, front of the flat, then surely then banging on that glass window would have managed to attract her attention. So they both attempt to try and, and, and get out. Mark tries it initially, and then Jeremy sort of tries to emasculate him slightly and just say, come on, let me do it, only to discover that he hasn't quite got the, the strength to do it either. So um, Mark, <laughs> Mark comes out with a fantastic line where he just goes, fucking fucklebucks. And I just think <laughs> I've had so many points where I've been really, really cross about. So they never used that particular line, but the sort of uh, the concoction of random profanity that comes out of my mouth when I'm really, really angry, like Mark is in this situation. Um, I, I relate to him completely there. But Jez doesn't seem to be quite as panicked and just says, "Oh, don't sweat it. I'll, I'll call Zara," which obviously goes to her voicemail. You could have predicted that before he made the call. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they, Jeremy is quite quick to sort of resign himself to the fact that they're stuck in this nether zone, whereas Mark, actually, throughout the entire episode, has far too uh, far uh, much more urgency. But Jeremy's kind of just like they're relaxed, and he's clearly seen too many films at this point because he says like, "Oh, it's fine. Like I'll just credit card the lock." And what I love here is such such throwaway line, but. Mark, like, knowing exactly how foolish Jeremy is being at this point, and then on top of that, he can't resist, like, poking fun by pointing out that it's a debit card that he's got there. Just love that. So, so Mark. And the next line, so Jeremy, because Jeremy just then says, it's really irresponsible of films to make out this is an option at all, because it just isn't. I think, <laughs> yeah, you've encapsulated those two attitudes to it in in a space of two lines yeah I, d I think this is just great example of you know the, the writing that goes into that we, we discussed this as part of you know like what makes these bottle episodes great and that the writing has to carry it and so i think there are so many examples where you know lines are just summing up their entire character and it's just like bang 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 throughout the entire thing and like people have touched on before this is where we start to see the two behaviours of Mark and Jez and being very reflective of how they deal in a crisis. And Mark just says, I'm the sort of person who rewinds if I miss a tiny bit of a film, even if I'm not particularly enjoying it, and now I'm going to miss the entirety of my son's christening. Like, he's then starting to get really, really panicked, whereas Jeremy's sort of going, oh, like, don't sweat it. Like, oh, we, my phone battery's running out. Like he's not showing the sort of response that Mark wants him to show. No, well, it's funny that we're talking about, like, Mark's panicking so much about missing uh, missing his son's christening. And it's funny, like, 
the point around the christening in the first place, like Mark is so clearly an atheist, like we get like multiple references to the fact that he is. So uh, we can presume that this has come from Sophie, the fact that Ian is going to be christened, because you'd think Mark initially would be against it. But then on the, the flip side, you've also got, you know, Mark's, you know, aim is to be this like traditionally conventional, you know, white middle class fantasy do you think that's just what it is and he's just him striving for that is the reason he's let it slide i think it's just the thing to do isn't it i know plenty of people who aren't religious who will get married in a church and there are plenty of people who aren't religious who will get their child christened or or baptized or whatever like i grew up in a in a church going family i was i was christened i was confirmed but have you been were you christened as a child no i wasn't and it was funny my parents i think my parents were going to and then um the vicar or whoever was was running it basically said like you need to come like a minimum of uh i don't know like at least once a month or something and my parents were like i'll oh, forget about it then and i thought that mark would very much have that kind of attitude and like not to I don't want to like um, belittle any anyone's religion or anything, but I think the character of Mark, I think he would think, oh, it's just a bit of water. Like, what good is that going to do? So I thought he would be quite anti a christening. But then on the other side, like I say, and like you said, it is sort of just like the done thing for so many people, even if they aren't particularly religious. It's just something that a like a, a country like England um, people do. Yeah, and I've got people in my family who have had their kids christened and have probably been to church twice in their life, but they've done it because it's the conventional thing to do. Um, my my wife's parents are both atheists and they went to church for years to get her into a Church of England school because it was where they wanted her to go because of the standard of the school. But they're not they're not religious in the slightest. They did it to to serve a purpose. And I think it's serving a purpose and it is just that you're right that sort of social class convention of it's the done thing and lots of people of probably like mark and sophie's generation would have been christened and baptized because their parents were either churchgoers or it was an important rite of passage for those people even if you were um an occasional churchgoer you would just get your child christened because it was the done thing to do Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I also really like the point that about, um, you know, parents going to church like to get them into a good school. Like, I think that's something that Mark would probably do or to be able to say, like, oh, yeah, Ian has been christened um, to get into a particularly good school. I think I think that sounds very Mark to, to just throw out all like his atheist beliefs just to like achieve like a, a one off victory is totally in keeping with Mark's character. Yeah, it absolutely is. And to get one, not even one rung up on the social ladder, but to get sort of one finger up onto the next rung to be able to sort of climb this. He's firmly in the middle of middle class. He's not, he's not, and he's not really impressing anyone because he doesn't really have any sort of social circle or friends that he needs to particularly impress with that sort of stuff. But Anyway, we've talked about christenings and weddings and confirmations quite a lot. <laughs> Come on, Flat B. Was it you who so coldly locked us in here to die? Or the security-obsessed wanker in Flat A? 
Ring Zara again. No, my battery. I've only got like a millibit of power bar left. I suppose a phone of your own might be quite useful right now, yeah? Yes, it would. And I'm an idiot and any attempt I make to escape the debt-driven rat race must be punished immediately and in the most brutal fashion. OK? Happy now? I suppose we do need to get out of here quite soon before the air supply runs out. What? Well, in here. The air supply's going to run out sooner or later. What? I'm not an idiot. Why does that make me an idiot? And I love that, like, Mark in this moment just gives Jess a look that he must have given him a thousand times, and Mark just doesn't even dignify that with a response. So, um, Mark sort of... He realises that having a phone would probably be quite useful in this situation because he'd be able to... Um, get himself out of this situation maybe slightly more quickly and we touched on this at the beginning that i don't understand why jez hasn't got sophie's number and would then be able to contact her to let her know that mark was going to be late rather than this sort of charade that they go through where they're trying to to guess what the number is going to be well yeah that's funny but i think because initially mark doesn't go to call sophie he goes to call her when they get into the flat because i think that is getting to the point now where they're going to be just too late and that there's a risk of missing the entire thing and we know jeremy does reveal that his phone battery is low so i'm guessing by the time that mark does decide to call sophie jez's phone is dead but it's not confirmed but mark yeah you're right mark decides that the call that he's going to make on jez's bar is going to be to a um a locksmith to um to try and get them out of the situation but they they very quickly realize that they don't know where they are the address uh yep the, the address it's um king's road king's drive king's drive and the the number the the, the number 52 Ooh, 54 uh it's in the 50s uh four, is it 40 40 something it's a 40, 40 perhaps you could come to king's drive and walk up and down and, and i'll shout through the letterbox 42 42 king's drive 42 we're pretty sure we live at 42 king's drive and so Jeremy, reclaiming his phone, decides with the, the last bit of battery that they have, he's going to order a pizza. Yeah, and he responds in such a childish way to Mark when Mark says, what the hell are you doing? Why are you wasting this bar on trying to order some food? Maybe you could try and ring like the police or an ambulance or something. And Jeremy just turns to him and says, I'm hungry, Mark. I didn't have any breakfast. Or would you have us both starve to death? and then proceeds to order the pizza, and you just think, I'm, I'm fairly sure you're not going to starve to death. I know you're doing it slightly for dramatic effect, but your stress of the situation is that you're not going to have enough to eat, not that you're going to miss out on, on Mark's son's christening. And Mark says in his monologue, look at him, the greedy godfather gobbling pizza on his godson's time. And you think, yeah, actually, Jeremy's not just a nobody. He is an integral part of this child's life or a very important part of this child's life going forward or should be obviously it turns out that um that he doesn't end up having the the role that he's meant to have but <laughs> either way he really doesn't support mark very well whatsoever no I said, his reaction like like you say is amazing i love the bit it's like oh would you rather us both starve to death and i was almost waiting for a follow-up to be just like you'd love that wouldn't you if we both starve to death and i said i would almost like written the script uh, ahead of the episode there but so they um jeremy orders his pizza and mark is then sort of sticking his 
his arm through the letterbox, which Jez decides he's trying to sort of posting himself out piece by piece. But Mark has come up with a much more sensible solution, which is to get his watch face into the sunlight and there there put a um, SOS message out by his sort of shining the torch shining the light from his watch onto some sort of surface so that people can see what he's trying to say and a passerby might notice it. Yeah, I think that's about as useful as Jeremy's suggestion of posting himself out. Like, no one is going to... Like, Mark doesn't know what he's doing and the idea that he's going to be able to, in Morse code, put a message out and then for someone to then understand it and notice it is just, like, I I think it's equally ridiculous. And, um... Uh, Jeremy then decides that he really needs a wee, which uh, <laughs> I, to be fair, when I get stressed, my first thought is like, I might, I might need a piss. Like maybe that will relieve a little bit of my tension. <laughs> well, it's funny. Just this has been they've been trapped for three minutes, I think, in this area, and yeah, to, for him to suggest that they designate an area of the Nether Zone to become disgusting and to piss in that corner of the room is just like unbelievable like how quickly this has degenerated and and mark tells him like you know oh no we're not doing that we're not we're not savages like if you've got to go then you're just gonna have to do it out of the the letterbox and we get this incredible exchange oh i tell you what though what i really need a wee maybe in a corner or we could make an area that became Disgusting. No, I'm, I'm not having it in here. If, if you need to wee, there's a letterbox. What, you mean fop the hose out of the slot? Well, needs must. Oh, right, and what if a passerby decides to try and turn off the nozzle? Hmm? What if a squirrel wants a sausage? I'm not just sending my member out into the world solo to seek his fortune. I look after him and he looks after me. That's the contract. The letterbox is not a glory hole for urine. Yeah, and... <laughs> The lengths that Jeremy's gone to to do things in the past, it really surprises me that he's not willing to just stick his knob out and do a quick wee. Like, he's not he's not going out there long term. He's just going out there for a quick whittle. Like, I can't see why Jeremy doesn't just go ahead with it. Well, obviously, he does. So it's, he, he bows down to it very quickly. Um, but Mark, he's lost the plot and he's just decided, right, I'm going to the christening. Like, enough of your bollocks with ordering pizza and pissing out of letterboxes and creating a disgusting area i'm gonna kick the door down and jeremy again in the space of about four or five lines just has another fantastic retort to him he says are you serious you're going to kick the door using one of your legs with enough force it's going to be smashed open yes mark corrigan is going to kick down a door oh this is too good don't start yet just let me get settled okay and go, go, gadget leg. Mm, mm, good, good first kick. Of course, you are going to have to smash it out of the frame, so only about another million more kicks like that and we'll be out. Fuck you. It is the weakest kick of a door. I've never tried to kick a door down. I've kicked, when I've had a, I had a sort of summer house in my garden where um, it was sort of a lot less structurally sound than, than this door in the flat was. But there was part of me where I, I ran and kicked it because I just wanted to be like, could I kick a door off its hinges? <laughs> Even if it's a door that's sort of rusted and, and whatever else, I want to do it just to be able to say, in my life, I've kicked a door off its hinges. And to be fair, it basically resulted in the entire summer house falling apart. So there was a slight... <laughs> like level of gratification that I got from that but Mark just comes with the weakest kick it's funny yeah th- this kick is so feeble and I-, I immediately then compared it to 
hands who just smashed the door out of its um, of its hinges. Big Mad Andy also has smashed a door out in their time. So Mark is um, yeah, he's looking pretty feeble here. Bless him. There is a bit of a difference though between the doors of an outside and the doors of an inside. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, particularly this one has been double locked, so there's some sort of double mechanism going on here, yeah. I mean, he was never going to do it, was he? And it's just like, there's not even a particularly loud noise either. It all just, yeah, <laughs> makes him look rather pathetic. But also internal and external doors are made of different sort of strengths of material. So I think if I would have much more of a chance of kicking a door of its hinges inside than a external door. I'm not suggesting either of them I'd be able to do, <laughs> but the hinges of an the hinges of an internal door are a lot weaker. I pulled the door of my um, cupboard in my house just by opening it slightly aggressively the other day. I managed to take off its hinges because I got <laughs> over over overexcited during a, a Zoom quiz when we were doing a treasure hunt, and I pulled the door of its hinges. <laughs> So I'm suggesting that maybe if it had been an internal door, maybe Mark would have had a bit more of a chance. But anyway, Mark's excuse is that he's not wearing the right shoes. No, yeah, and, and Jeremy just said, oh yeah, of course, yeah, it's the shoes. And and Mark's just full-on freaking out at this point. Jeremy's trying to be a calming influence, but of course to, to no avail. Ah! I am so screwed! I'm so utterly, utterly screwed! Look, dude, Zara's going to call back, but, you know, until she does... We're in the nether zone, yeah? Time moves at a different speed in the nether zone. We need to relax. You can't relax. We, we've got to fight, worry, speculate, tart, pace, swear. Why? Because it's an emergency. In, in an emergency, you watch breaking news and count your tins of butter beans. You don't sit in the garden and put on Kiss FM. Dude, we're here for the duration. Let's chill out. We have an obligation to be anxious. It's a mark of respect for the gravity of the situation. So many people shared this clip during lockdown and said there are two types of people in lockdown. There are two people. One person is going to be that, oh, don't sweat it. Like, lockdown's happening. We're here. What's the point of worrying about COVID? Like, yada, yada, yada. And then there's the person who's like Mark. And it's like, no, we have to be stressed about this situation. This has got to be something we worry about. Look at the severity of what's going on. We owe it to the severity to actually panic. and boy oh boy is he panicking absolutely yeah jeremy suggests like jeremy's just like putting up all of these like unnecessary unhelpful obstacles for mark bless him and he comes up with this ridiculous suggestion that you know they should use this time to get to know each other like a you know a couple who were like slightly uh they're having relationship problems he's like let's just take it back to basics and they start playing this game of sort of like a would you rather and he asks mark whether he would sleep with him you know, if the if the men came and they were held at gunpoint and Mark tells him that maybe, just maybe he could do it as long as Jeremy didn't enjoy it. And of course, this is just, it's funny. I was I was saying earlier about them, Jeremy saying like, oh, you'd love that, wouldn't you? But we instead we get a like, like, so you could rape me, but you couldn't make love to me. Like, that is so you. Like, this is just you all over. Mark's like, no, that is not me all over. And I feel like it's one of those phrases that Mark's come out with without really realising the implications of what it entails and how it how it comes across. I don't think he is... Jeremy has been quite reductive in how he said that. 
I don't think Mark quite meant it like that. But obviously, that's how it's how it's come across. Oh no, of course not. But I mean, this is this is exactly it. Though this kind of sums up like everything that Jeremy is doing at this point. Like everything is reductive and detracting Mark from what he needs to be doing. Like Jeremy is so unfocused that it kind of just sums it all up perfectly. Well, his next question is slightly more. Well, he says tickling Mark's historical G-spot and he asks whether he would have joined the resistance in France during the Second World War. And Mark Mark says, I'm not getting into that, which really reminds me of an episode that hasn't happened yet, actually. But the um, the seasonal beatings episode where Mark's dad comes out with that line about the MG and he goes, you don't know what you're talking about. And it really reminds me of that Mark being like, I'm not getting into that. We've talked about this before. Like, don't get me started on something you don't know anything about. Um, and Jeremy continues to sort of goad him for an answer. But Mark uh, won't answer it. Mark eventually answers it later, a lot later on in the episode, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, but instead, Mark's busy looking for a way out and he spots at a window upstairs and he's debating whether to jump out of it and i mean this window looks very high yeah really really high like i've jumped i have jumped out of a window before but not a like a actually but that window seems very high considering it's only at the top of not even a proper flight of stairs like it's not the it's not the stairs that are level with zara's flight the Stairs like halfway up. The windows are halfway up those stairs. Uh, yeah, that's true. Although it, it does still seem like quite a, a high like set of stairs though. But yeah, I agree. When they look out, it looks higher than you would expect it to be. Yeah, it's certainly not a window I would want to be jumping out of. No, I think only sort of a desperate man. And obviously we're going to get to that point much later. But for now, and while Jeremy claims that he could do it easily, you know, with just like a standard uh, parachute roll, but nah, not in the mood. Like, and so they return downstairs. Yeah, Jeremy says he'd jump off the trellis, bounce off the wall and hit the ground. Basic moves. And you just think you would do exactly what Mark ends up doing, which is basically fall flat on your face when you (laughs) effectively fall out of the window. Yeah. Um, and so they head downstairs and Jeremy then immediately starts pissing out of the letterbox. So this this contract that he supposedly has with his, his unit, his member or whatever it was he called it, like has just been torn to shreds. And so he's out there pissing, but then has to retract his unit when uh, the, the pizza man arrives. Oh, that's better. You're actually doing it? Yes, I'm actually doing it. God, Jeremy, what if someone outside thinks it's some sort of comment? Mark, it's a perfectly friendly piss. I'm not... Oh, shit. Withdraw all units. Pizza? Pizza! Nutritious, delicious pizza! How's he supposed to deliver it through a locked door? I've thought about that. Uh, Just slide that baby through the letterbox, dude. Of course, the letterbox, your new pleasure portal. It won't fit me. It's a large one. Defeated by your own greed. It's like a Grimm's fairy tale. Yeah, Mark has a lot of very good one-liners here where constantly ridiculing him. And then Jeremy says, oh, no, like, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to... And he ends up saying, like, I've got a sheath for the pizza. Use the um, the sort of, what is it, like a leaflet as a protective covering. And Mark just says, look at him, the James Dyson of pissy pizza. <laughs> yeah, I think... 
like like you said earlier, like Mark's got so many put downs for Jeremy this episode, but it, you know Jeremy keeps setting them up, and then Mark just keeps knocking them out of the park. And you're right, this this point of like, although I do think like it's quite this is some of the hardest like most creative thinking Jeremy's ever done. I think creating this uh, pizza sheath. Um. <laughs> but, but it's really interesting that Jeremy then Mark is basically saying, "Oh, what the hell? This is." This is like he's mocking the fact that he's thought of this. And Jeremy then turns around and just says, they're working like periodical pizza shields. We could take this to the dragon. <laughs> and <laughs> Mark mocks him again. and just says, we'll make our fortune. And this is a situation that millions of people are going to need a protected pizza sheath for. And this is a, another point where he has started to just realise the the gravitas of the situation and just says there's no name for this situation it's so unusual mm-hmm. and you just think yeah you really are up a creek without a paddle here yeah precisely and this situation is only going to get worse and worse as this episode goes on but the, the next level of horribleness it comes when ben rings jeremy to tell him that actually he's on his way to zara's flat right now which of course risks exposing his well somewhat brief but um very new affair and Mark, meanwhile, is just found in the background, like continuing to sheath this pizza as it comes through, like slice by slice. And Mark, who is is feeling peckish himself, is like, actually, I'd quite like a slice, but like if I ate one, I feel like he'd won. So of course, he can't give Jeremy even a, the slightest bit of satisfaction, um, and he, he has to keep up the front and just belittle everything Jeremy's doing. Yeah, because whilst he's concentrating on getting the pizza in, and he even says, I'm going to miss the champagne and canapes because I'm working as Jeremy's mad pizza butler, he's also listening to everything that Jez is saying. And as soon as Jez lies to Ben and says, oh, like, I'm at home and then I'm going to this christening, but I'll be I'll be on vibrate if you need me, Mark in his monologue just says, hmm, he's lying. Interesting. And uh, when... Mark realises obviously the game's up and that Ben is on his way back and going to discover the the web of lies that Jeremy and Zara have started to spin. Um, Mark Mark sees the positive in it and Mark basically goes, oh, brilliant, like he's coming back. Like we're rescued, I'll make it to the christening in time, everything's going to be fine. And Jeremy says, no, it's not. Everything's triple fried fucked. And Mark does this amazing, oh, really? As in, oh, do tell me more about something I already knew. And Jeremy says, yep, uh, I did sleep with Zara last night. And Mark says, then why did you have a go at me? Why did you criticise me for thinking that you'd had a, had sex with her? And Jeremy just says, oh, I was just enjoying being self-righteous. Besides, we very nearly didn't. Yeah, and it, what's interesting here is that, so yeah, Jeremy comes clean and says that they, they slept together the night before, but it's funny that he says that the sex was pretty terrible, and, you know, he's put in all that work, like this series, and he's gone to the museums and the galleries, the symposiums, the foreign film screenings, and ultimately it wasn't even worth it for the chance to sleep with her. So you just think, what a waste, like this series has been for Jeremy, like the only thing... Jeremy had to realistically gain from that relationship (laughs) and it's just like even that didn't come through for him. What I found quite interesting though was he tells Mark why the sex wasn't great and basically says that she's Lego, he's a stickle brick and says that she's very already focused but we know that Jeremy is also very already focused and he makes a comment later on about the fact I didn't even go down on you and you just think 
but you've just said that she was very already focused. I'm not really sure. Well, he clearly didn't do something right, or she clearly did, didn't do something right because they uh, sort of rubbed up against each other without anything really happening by the sounds <laughs> of it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that's the issue. I think the fact that he didn't go down on her was, is the issue because because she is so already focused, apparently. But um, yeah, we'll we'll perhaps get to that bit uh, a little later when Jeremy brings it up again. But um, yeah, so having they quickly uh, re-review the the window height, decide that they're not going to make that jump at all, and Jeremy then finds a cupboard under the stairs, and uh, he, you know they discuss whether to hide in it. It looks a bit small for both of them. Before Jeremy finds what is now sort of the the, the infamous bit, which is just like a, a bit of like shelving or like wall bracket. And Jeremy seems to think that this is their ticket to freedom. Hey, Dr. Sarcasmo, I found something, look. Okay, congratulations, you found an area. But we can utilize this area. Uh-huh. It could be great for sleeping, this could be where we sleep or do our business. We are not shitting or sleeping in the area, Jeremy. I could hide in the area when Ben comes. Hmm. Didn't get four across boat, but they aced solipsism. Who was this person? Hey, look, Mark. Yeah? A thing. A bit. This is our ticket out of here. We could do anything with this. Your faith in the bit is touching, Jez. We could smash a window or break a lock or hit a man over the head with it. It's like whose line is it anyway for criminals? The the only window they have access to is the one that they are... Like, they can open and close, but (laughs) they're not going through it. Like, that's the problem. Like, the fact that it's... It's shut isn't an issue at all. Um, they well, break. no, surely they could smash the window of the front. I think, but do you need the bracket to do that? You could, you could kick that window in if you, if you need. I think, or I... use your elbow or something. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, and so we, they go upstairs, and uh, Jeremy tries to use the bit to to break into Zara's flat, but Mark has actually engaged his brain a bit more and has managed to crack the uh, the spare key. And uh, he's found that, and then boom, they're they're back in the flat and right back where they started as we head into the the ad break. Support for Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, all across Europe. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PEEP at manscaped.com. So why do you need Manscaped's Lawnmower 4.0? Well, we've all got our own nightmare grooming stories about shaving our nether regions. Whether it's Nick's cuts and grazes or an unfortunate tale involving hair removal cream, it can seem like you're always a moment away from disaster. Not with the Lawnmower 4.0. After using it myself, it really does make a massive difference. It's quick, easy to use, and most importantly, I felt safe while using it. With the Lawnmower 4.0, Manscaped have engineered the ultimate groin trimmer, with their advanced skin-safe technology making you confident to shave your boys. So, if you're like Mark and are worried about your testicles looking abnormal, the Lawnmower 4.0 can give you the confidence to do something about it and make your balls feel like a million dollars. So go on, start shaving your testicles like it's the most natural thing in the world and get 20% off and free shipping with the code PEEP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PEEP. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. 
your boards will thank you. Yeah, so they seem to have felt like they've achieved something. And then Mark quite rightly says, right, we're back in the flat. We're back to square one. Like, we haven't achieved anything. If anything, we're more buggered because we know Ben's about to arrive back here. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. <laughs> so Mark decides to prioritise, look, we need to get use the phone, get in touch with Sophie, sort the whole thing out. But Jeremy seems to just be like, it's funny, he, he went to piss in a corner after about three minutes and he seems to just be grateful to be sort of back in civilization at this point it's like he's been living in a cave for six months because he's just he's looking around he's like oh food like water and then of course as jeremy's mind often does he's 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 horny and he's like oh i wonder if she's the sort of dirty sausage who keeps a skin flick at the back because he's like rooting through all of her magazines <laughs> and mark's just telling I had him to like Google what a skin flick was i didn't know what the term skin flick meant Oh, you're so innocent, Rob. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll take that as a I'll take that as a positive. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark's telling him off. He's telling him like, can we just take a break from the masturbatathon that is your life? As Mark then proceeds to attempt to guess Sophie's phone number, as you can only uh, remember the beginning of it. And Jeremy, as is bang on theme for this episode, is telling him like, oh, like the. the the, the last four or five digits you don't know just just try you know all the variations and you'll get there eventually and mark is just again it's like i'm sorry what like all the variations of all those numbers i don't know and Joe's like yeah it can't take that long it's like oh god like all the people to be trapped with <laughs> and this time it really gets to him because he just says you really are an imbecile aren't you yeah well before like it's he not the even, last like... time where he just sort of sat there and went yeah, exactly. He didn't. He didn't even justify it with a response. Whereas this time, he at least says, "Oh, for God's sake, you really are stupid, aren't you?" <laughs> yeah. And before you know, while they're having their argument, it turns out that Ben has actually arrived very quick, getting back into get back to the flat. And while I hadn't noticed him say this before, like throughout all the times I've watched Peep Show, but you mentioned this last episode, and it's this line as he's on the phone to a mate or a colleague or something, but he's arriving back at the flat and he's saying to this person, I'm just heading into my bitch's place right now. And I just, I just, I had the subtitles on uh, while doing this for, for prep. And I just, I caught it and I was like, Jesus, like we've been talking like all series, like how Ben's a massive shit, but this is kind of, this is like, he's slimy and, greasy with a, a comment like that like it's not just an asshole he's just like a real nasty piece of work every line that ben says in this episode is awful like i went through the script and he comes out when mark and jez hide ben then is on still on the phone and he just says i'm gonna grab my laptop chow down on some brunchiest <laughs> and just think shut up he then comes out um he then has a few like sort of throwaway remarks, um, but then he comes out and goes, well, I don't know why they're called beanie hats. Maybe it's because in the olden days, people used to store beans on them. Oh, who fucking cares? Yeah, all right, over gold leader. And that not isn't necessarily the worst line, but I think because we're already riled, because we know that Ben is such a shit and we know he comes out with some absolutely awful lines later on when he's talking about, um, what does he say about his sack sticking to Oh, leg like yeah, a that's grim. super glue or something. <laughs> yeah, so Mark and Jeremy, they, they hide in the bathroom as Ben arrives back in the flat. 
And But Mark doesn't want to, as you say. Mark would rather just get out at the earliest opportunity. And he's saying to Jeremy, look, like, we should face up to our responsibilities like men. And just like, sure, okay, go on then. Like gesturing him to go out. And he just knows that Mark is like, oh, well, I mean, not actually, but we should at least consider it. And this just has me in hysterics because... You know, Jeremy said that Mark not wanting him to, you know, enjoy their weird, like, sex that they're having at gunpoint was him all over. But this line, it's him saying, but we should at least consider it, you know, but, like, but let's not actually do it. Like, this is peak Mark. Because the amount of times where he's saying, oh, we shouldn't be doing this, we shouldn't do that, as he's doing those things, is just, like countless times and so this is very much again it's just distilling these characters down to their essence just like time and time again and that the writing is just continues to carry this episode so well yeah and jeremy changes his tune as this sort of segment goes on because i i suppose there's an element where he's saying yeah go on then go and face your responsibilities he knows deep down that mark's not going to do it but by the end where mark is saying look i've got to go Jeremy saying, Mark, you can't, you can't. So as this situation unfolds, Jeremy's attitude, I think, does slightly change towards the best way of dealing with it. No, totally, yeah. Um, so they, they revisit, you know, they, they go to hide and, and Jeremy is sort of like, oh, well, we may as well pass the time somehow. So they revisit this topic about whether Mark would re- re- uh, join the French resistance during World War II um, and Mark, to Jeremy's horror, reveals that he would have probably just kept his head down and Jeremy just finds this completely outrageous and claims that he'd have just gone straight to Berlin, boosh, like one shot, Hitler down, end of the war. <laughs> and Marg is so patronising, which is like, well, congratulations, you would have been a brave, brave man. <laughs> but I think Mark, and having studied history, Mark, I met loads of Marks on my course who have all these sort of like, revisionist i'm not saying this particular thought is revisionist but he has these sort of revisionist thoughts and 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 whatever else and there's another scene i can't what episode it's in where mark asks jez what if he could go back to any point in history where would it be and jez says oh i'd go back i'd go back to the 60s and like see the beatles and and have proper milkshakes and and burgers and whatnot and mark basically says of all the places you could go back to, you'd go back to somewhere that was in like the last 60 years and not somewhere that will be so inherently different to our own that we can't possibly understand it. And I found this really sort of in keeping with, with that little conversation. Where is that? Where does that happen? Oh, Christ. Uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a good one. If anyone's listening and can remember where it is, I'm sure it's Peep Show and not Mitchell and Webb. Oh no, it's, de- it's definitely they have this conversation. Show. Yeah. Oh well, if anyone's listening and knows the answer, then then give us a shout. I'm sure my my Twitter inbox was inundated with people messaging us about things that we talked about in last week's episode. So hopefully, people jump in and and come up with a few suggestions for that just then. So, um, they finished this conversation they're having about what they'd have done with the the French resistance and. Mark says again, I've got to get out of here. And Jeremy just says, no, you can't. You'll destroy my career. And then Mark says, like, it's either destroy your career or destroy my relationship with my son. And Jeremy says, bollocks. Like, he's one month old. He's not going to remember this. All he knows is bath time and the biggest, weirdest bath in the world. 
and suggests that Mark should therefore, if he's going to go, at least pretend like he's a burglar or something. Uh, yeah, Mark's worried, like, uh, of Ben, like, defending himself and put the possibility of getting stabbed, which, you know, we're going down some ludicrous avenues at this point. But to make it even worse, like I say, this this episode just continues to degenerate. But Ben actually then comes into the bathroom at this point, which forces them to hide in the shower on the other side of the, the shower curtain. And Ben... <sighs> I mean, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but Ben just continues to get worse and worse as this episode goes on. And he's still on the phone and he goes to do a massive shit. Like, who does that? Like, he's talking and then there's just these horrific, like, straining noises and splashing noises. And we just have to watch Mark and Jez's, like, horrified expressions for, like, a full 10, 15 seconds as these horrible noises come from the other side of the curtain. Oh. My. God. Well, I don't know why they're called beanie hats. Maybe it's because in the olden days people used to store beans in them? Who fucking cares? Yeah, all right, call me in a bit. Over, gold leader. Yeah, it's just, I think if we don't hate Ben before this point, this just fully just knocks him down. It It's awful. Like, oh, I can't even put it into words how horrible that is. The sort of the strain as he's having the conversation is just so grim. Yeah, he's got a problem there. He needs to go see a doctor, I think, or take something. <laughs> But um, yeah, so he he finishes his dirty business, wraps up his phone call, and, and he heads out. And once again, like the amount of times that you know Mark says that he's about to leave and goes to leave, and then for someone else to arrive, and this time it's Zara arriving home, and she heads straight to the bathroom, and they have to jump. Although Jeremy says that if if she's gonna like wash or like undress or whatever, like he'll he'll wait and hide and watch it. But if he go, if she goes to the toilet, then he's going to come out straight away. She goes for the toilet, and so they they jump out. And um, to, very much to her surprise, of course, she you know they got her voicemail. She has no idea what's going on here, and then suddenly this uh, this problem very much becomes hers as well. Yeah, one thing I wanted to touch on was the conversations that Mark and Jez have behind the curtain. I love. I don't know whether it's just me, but I love the almost stage whisper that Mark does when he's, it's so overemphasized. He's going, what if he stabs me? And I can't do it justice because David Mitchell is a much better actor than I am. But when they have the scene in the wedding episode where they're having that um, whispered conversation in the sort of the balcony bit in the church, I think these stage whispers that David Mitchell does in these situations are absolutely brilliant. But yeah, you're right. They, they realise that Zara's about to sort of pull her trousers down to go to the toilet and realise that maybe it's a bit far if they're watching two people go for a shit. <laughs> yeah, and what's funny is so that they, they come out and sort of explain the situation to Zara and she then decides to use, take this opportunity to break up with Jeremy, which I find bizarre because... You know, for a start, as you know, this relationship is seems to be less than twelve hours old. But like, how is that going to help 
their current situation at all. Like, instead, it's just going to make the whole situation far more awkward because then it comes to a point where, you, you know, what does Jeremy have to lose then? It's, it's bizarre. But she does it because Jeremy is saying she needs to go out and break up with Ben and let him know that she's been sleeping with Jez. That's why Zara then retaliates effectively. And Jeremy says it might be a good idea to sort of do it and everyone's cushy. And Zara basically says, I can't handle this. I think we should put it all on ice. So that's the only reason that Zara says it, I think. But I, st- I don't think that that's going to help the situation, though. Like, that's just going to make things even worse. And I, and I think it does. Because, you know, if she breaks up with Jeremy now, like, what does Jeremy, and particularly, like, what does Mark... I suppose there's the issue of the job, isn't there? That's, that's very true. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, and maybe Zara doesn't want to lose Jez completely because she still thinks that he's this intellectual, like, French film, artistic, loving guy. She still doesn't know that that's all bullshit. So she maybe wants to keep him keep him close, but maybe not just quite as close as she was keeping him the night before. But she says, like, it's over. That's the headline. Come on, like, we need to we need to do something about this. Um, and Mark says, I don't really want to get into this conversation, but I'm just going to have to go. So for the third time, he's threatening to just sort of break free, regardless of the implications and the ramifications of what it will mean, because Ben's out there. I've just got to go. Um, and he's sort of... he's almost like overruled, isn't he? Really, they almost don't pay him. Like Zara tells him, like you kind of you kind of can't go, and so Mark is then just is forced to just like stand as an awkward third wheel as Jeremy tries to salvage the relationship with Zara. And we can just see him to one side trying to act like he's unaware of this like horrible affair going on next to him. And he's reading this shampoo bottle and it's just priceless because Jeremy's coming out with these like deeply intimate things. Is this about last night? Because I can do better. I know I can. I didn't even go down on you which is a great shame because I love to go down on women, don't I, Mark? Rinse and repeat. Always with the rinse and repeat. And he's, like, tapping him, and Mark's just like, no, like, I'm not part of this. But he then does get involved with the conversation because Zara and Jez are still having this sort of back and forth about um, breaking up and whether they should break up or even whether it counts as a breakup if they've effectively just, like, slept together once. Um, And... Mark then interjects and says, like, Jez, you're not a bad person. Like, Zara's just having a wobble. It's all going to be fine. And Zara just says, I don't think it is, Mark. This is it. I'm not I'm not going to pretend that it's all right so you can bugger off to your son's christening. I don't want Jez to get any sort of false sense of security. This is, this is it. However, this situation with you two being stuck in my bathroom is sorted out, me and Jez are not getting back together. No, yeah, she refers to Jeremy as one little blip, which is just a crushing blow to Jeremy. He's He turns to Mark with almost, like, tears in his eyes. Uh, and it's just like, why do I keep getting dumped? Um, but Mark is just... He's getting desperate at this point, so it's for a fourth time he tries to head out, and this time it's Ben coming back, and he wants to use the shower this time, and this is when he comes out with that awful, I'm so sweaty, my sack's stuck to my leg with super glue which is just there are so many awful things about that sentence 
like Ben, you just continue to top yourself. And and like you say earlier, like if people don't hate him already, like <laughs> now that's the got to be the final nail in his co- in his coffin. Like unless you are like unless you're maybe Jeff. Yeah, I'd imagine Jeff and uh, Ben would actually no. I think Ben would even be a bit too much for Jeff because Jeff's just a wind-up merchant. Ben's actually just horrible. Um, and so finally, they, they all come out. Mark kind of gets his way. And we get this... It's rather an odd sequence of Jeremy and Mark trying to lie their way out of it. Because, of course, Ben wants to know what the hell was going on. Um, Jeremy comes out with this kind of, like, nothingy, you know, trying to come out with, like, the fact that they use Zara's flat um, to to meet privately. And, it, like, none of it's really coherent. None of it really makes sense. Ben just sees right through it. But it, it's fun, quite interesting that Mark does play along and makes out like him and Jeremy are just having this sort of like weird relationship that, you know, they have to resort to going to someone else's flat. He always, Mark's got to the point where he, he's so done with it all now that I think he's willing to agree with anything just to try and get out. Yeah, I think that's it. Exactly. I think he just, he wants to get there as quickly as possible. The, if he has to lie and pretend that he's having some sort of weird gay fling with Jez to get the key a little bit quicker. And he even comes out with a line about, I can't remember exactly what it is, but he says something about there are lots of hatred and prejudice in the world, but we feel free here or something. But then almost as he finishes that line, he's saying, now can we have the key? And Ben quite rightly just says like, no, you can't. It's interesting that, um, that they're asking Ben for the key because it's Zara's flat which I found odd. Yeah, that is quite weird. I didn't even think about that. But they sort of take the lie one step too far because Jeremy then says that the reason that he's wearing Ben's trousers is that they pretend that one of them's Ben and the other one sort of gets to fuck him. (laughs) It's just like, yeah, it goes from the bizarre to the surreal at this point. And Ben comes out and just says, that's bullshit. You're not gay guys. You look shit for gay guys. <laughs> and Jeremy's line is sort of the response that I think most people give was, you don't know all the kinds of gay guys. We're not all clones from the clone zone. <laughs> and in his internal monologue says, I'd be a great gay guy. <laughs> Which we obviously get to find out in the next series. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Towards the end of Beep Show. Yeah, he very much does. Um, but th- this is all kind of going nowhere, ultimately. And while Mark, I think he tries twice to get the key off Ben, but gets turned down. And his desperation just reaches new levels as we suddenly hear a scream come from outside. And we rush to stick our heads out the window and find that Mark has actually gone through with it and landed rather awkwardly. Um, That parachute roll didn't quite work out as Jeremy said it would. Oh, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so... (laughs) That we we're free. We're finally out of. We've been in the the nether zone for for the whole episode, and as we arrive for the for the final uh, final scene for the last minute or so, we we've left the nether zone and we've arrived just in time for the party of the christening, and um, they're heading up the up the path to to make their entrance. and And Jeremy is brilliant like this whole thing has just been like a complete clusterfuck like one disaster after the next and jeremy's just saying like he didn't actually say i was sacked i mean he didn't say it i think it was implied i actually think i aced it 
I feel bad when everything's basically fine, while he feels good after enduring the most humiliating day of his life. It's infuriating. And I just think, like, I, I keep saying this, but, like, if if a line was to sum these two up, like, it's, it's this. And I just, I have to say, just take my hat off. Like, Sam and Jesse, like, this is just brilliant, like, exercise. Like, put their writing to the test. Like, their writing really has just carried it. Of course, with David and Robert's performances as well, but it's come together so well. I just think, yeah, it's, it's just brilliant. Yeah. So we head into the final final scene of the episode where Mark knocks on the door and Paul Clayton, Ian Chapman, answers the door and responds to Mark in exactly the way that I think any... <sighs> father-in-law estranged father-in-law i don't really know how you would how you would entitle um ian but ian says you've missed your son's christening mark but you've made it in time for the sandwiches congratulations <laughs> you just think that was not the person you wanted opening the door was no, it no i think if ian like if he didn't have a low opinion like low enough opinion of mark already like it was already pretty much rock bottom and somehow Mark continues to find ways to uh, to make it even worse. And yeah, he he and Sophie, who's also at the door, like inevitably give him a bit of a grilling, and you know just shit piling on top of shit like uh, of what this day is. It turns out that because Jeremy wasn't there to, as Godfather, they they got Jeff in, which just I wonder if Sophie did that just deliberately as she knew that that would be the worst possible person she could pick to, like, punish him. I don't think so. I don't think that was... I would imagine... We've talked a little bit before about Sophie being quite naive to the possible sort of um, relationship between Jeff and Mark. And I would imagine that Sophie is sort of panicking and worrying about there not being somebody to... Uh, step in in Jez's place with Jez not being there to be um, to be the uh, godfather and Jeff would have gone and sort of put his arm around her and said look like I can do this I would imagine it's way more Jeff doing it knowing that it would wind Mark up rather than Sophie doing it knowing that it would wind mm. Mark up but I'd imagine there might be a slight element of Sophie wanting to piss off Mark but I would imagine it's a it's a combination of Jeff and Sophie yeah. and not just Sophie being vindictive. No, yeah, I, I think I think you're right, actually, looking back. at Because Jeff's behaviour, like, he conveniently pops up at the door as well to hand out the champagne. And he takes great pleasure in being like, oh, yeah, I stepped in. Makes a little bit of a joke for to Jeremy, who's like, oh, sorry, like, that's good. Like, I didn't want the little fella to go to hell just because of stupid old me. And, and Jeff's just, like, very much like, ah, like... Here, like to to baby Ian, which of course is the hat trick of like the shitness here because they've decided at the last minute to switch it from James Ian to Ian James, and uh, yeah, Jeff's gr like Cheshire Cat grin, like he knows that this is just a you know he's twisting the knife here in Mark. Yeah, and Jeff's really come back with a vengeance in this series, hasn't he? Because he began the series with the um dropping the shit down mark's toilet in the party episode and then he's just really compounded mark's misery by the end <laughs> yeah yeah very true and for this for the second time in peep show we find mark drinking champagne but 
you know, entirely miserable as he does so, and we get this little sign off in Mark's monologue, as we so often do. How about a toast to baby Ian? Baby, baby Ian. Mmm, sweet, delicious, rancid champagne. And bang, we are, we are very much back to our disaster endings. <laughs> I was just about to say that, for all the positivity that we finished last week with, this week has just brought us truly back to earth and back to the essence of Peep Show. Yeah, well, I, I enjoyed it while it lasted with the happy endings of Series 7. It was a refreshing little change, but of course, as as peep show is like the we, we couldn't last you know too long having a good time so uh yeah we very much crashed down and this episode has just been a catalog of errors and just awfulness so we're, we're very much back in familiar territory um and yeah and, and the, the credits roll fancy a punt on the quizzy shit a bit of data out of that bunged up brain box i'll do the buttons do the answers which takes us on to the quiz, and uh, it, I believe it is your turn to host. It is, and I'm feeling slightly vengeful after... Damn. The... <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I wrote a few questions. I, um, I spoke to my, my good friend, Doug, who always sort of gives me a few questions, but a lot of the questions he'd come up with were in line with ones I'd already got, and he... He just finished listening to A Beautiful Mind where I had put in quite the poor showing. So I think he he wanted to aid me in 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 fucking you I'm over. I'm not sure about this. All this, this help that you're getting. Doug, like where, where are the offers when I'm quiz host? <laughs> need, need some help, mate. Uh, it's not what you know. It's who you know <laughs> yeah, very it. much. Right, I've got a fair few questions. So I'll I'll start and then we'll see where we get up to with them. So some of them are like observational. Um, some of them are... F- a little easier. So question number one. Um, at the beginning of the episode, when Jeremy's brewing the coffee, what fruit is on the table next to the cafetiere when he brews it? Oh, my God. Uh, bananas? It's a bowl full of lemons. Oh Christ. Okay, that's uh, a flavour of what the questions are going to be like. <laughs> question number two. What does Jeremy worry about running out of when Mark doesn't have a phone? Um, what does he worry about running out of? Um, I've not I've not worded that question particularly well. Weed? Like No, it's Marmite. Marmite, uh Okay. So you're on zero for two so far. So I'm feeling like my, my revenge is going to be sweet. How long does Jeremy say the washing machine could take? Uh, oh, he, he says it, like it could be fifteen minutes, it could be eighteen hours, because normally he just bungs them in yep. for a few days and leaves it. <laughs> yep. Okay. Well done. So when they skipping forward a little while, when they are um, trying to work out who's locked them in, Mark goes to flat A and flat B. Can you remember what he refers to the person in flat A as? Uh, he refers to one of them as like a security conscious wanker or something. I'll give you that. It's a security-obsessed wanker. Yeah. Are you the security-obsessed wanker in flat A? Yeah. You can have that. Okay. What are the two guesses, the two first guesses, that Jeremy has for the number of Zara's flat? Uh, wait, what? Sorry? What are the two get- first guesses 
he offers to Mark for where they live, for, for where they are. Oh, it's like the um, like King's Drive. Is that what you mean? So the numbers, he, he says, it's King's Drive, and then Mark says, what number? And Jeremy says, is it mm, oh, or is it um, mm? At first, they're debating whether it's like 57 or 56, but then I think he says something like 42, I think, by the end of it. Is that right? The two numbers I was look the two numbers I was looking for were the ones that you just said fifty seven and fifty six, but they weren't fifty seven and fifty six. It was fifty two and fifty four. Ah, damn it! <laughs> so maybe I need to simplify my wording of my question. Um, what radio station does Mark say you can't put on in a crisis? Uh, Kiss FM. Yeah, well done. Okay, another observational one. In the background of basically the entire episode. Um, there's a notice board, like the flat notice board. Um, do you know what the handwritten sign says on the back of the notice board? Uh, what, in Zara's flat? No, in the hallway, in the nether zone. There's like a, when they're down by the door, there's a notice board by the door that's presumably like the information for the people living in the flat living in the block of flats and there's a handwritten note that you can see basically the entire way through i know there's a sign on the door that says about making sure it's fully closed like when you leave but is is that not what you mean that's not what i'm looking for no no. i don't know then you could have gone you could have taken a guess at this because it's very generic and it just says please keep hallway tidy thank you yeah okay okay um what does ben when Ben signs off on the phone, what does he refer to the guy as on the phone? Uh, I th- uh, does it, he refer to himself, though, when he says, like, gold leader or something? Or is that to him? Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's the answer yeah. I'm looking for. Cool. Yeah, well done. Okay. Uh, Jeremy once told Mark that what made him horny? Oh, um, chairs, which I love. Yeah, because well that, that is the ultimate, like, if ever there was an argument ender when Jeremy's, like, trying to get on his high horse about, like, not sleeping with her or, or like, he's not just obsessed about sex, like, that is it. It's just amazing put down. <laughs> okay, according to Mark, what two things can you do in an emergency? What two things should you do in an emergency? Uh, well, when he, he lists a bunch of stuff, doesn't he? About, like, tutting and speculating so he so he says um you do this and this you don't sit in the garden put on kiss fm you do this and this oh right um oh no it's like yeah we have an obligation to be anxious um and he says and in a crisis you you um oh you you watch breaking news Oh, and you count tins of something. Oh, no. Um, you count your tins. Um, uh, you count your tins of beans? I'll give it to you. Count your tins of butter beans. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah I'm so... definitely having that. <laughs> okay, and we touched on this. We, we read this bit out at the end. Um, how does Mark describe the champagne? Uh, oh, it's um, sweet, delicious, but rancid. Fantastic, well done. And um, Mark says that Jeremy is the who of Pissy Pizza. 
Uh, oh, uh, Dyson. James Dyson. Yeah, well done. So I'm just going to tot up your final score. So you got... I got better one, as it went on. Two. So you got seven. Right. You didn't get the coffee one. You didn't get the Marmite one. You didn't get the house numbers. And you didn't get the sign. Okay, so how, so about like so, seven out of twelve, something like that. Yeah, just over half, fifty yeah. percent. You'd have passed. You'd have passed your first year of uni. Yeah, with that <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think that went a lot better as it went on. It started quite disastrously. So um, yeah, I feel like, but that was particularly brutal. What fruit is on the table is not. That is not equals equals. <laughs> I don't know. It's fairly. Like, you've picked a fair few. It's better than the one I did in one of the earlier series where I was like, what was written on the wall of the scene where they go into Gog's house and you see it for about half a second. <laughs> yeah, brutal. But, yeah, no, I'm, I think I did all right there, all things considered. Um, but, yeah, that, that wraps things up then for episode four of series seven. So thank you, as always, for, for listening. And I'll say it again, if you enjoyed the uh, enjoyed the episode, Please do take a, a moment to leave a review or a rating if you haven't already and also subscribe um, as it really does help the show out. Um, join us next week for episode five of series seven then, which is, of course, seasonal beatings, which means we've made it to the famous Christmas episode right around Christmas, which we've we kind of crunched our our usual um end of series break shorts to get this in um so i'm really looking forward to getting into the christmas episode uh, as we're approaching um christmas itself in in the real world so that should arrive um for you all on boxing day um so i guess this is the last time that you'll be listening to us before christmas so um we hope you have a, a very merry christmas um and i hope you're looking forward to it as as much as we are yeah, unless you're one of our uh, our patrons, in which case you're probably listening to the seasonal beatings episode on Christmas Ooh, Day. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. So our patrons, of course, which is a, a reason to check out our Patreon, is um, yeah. So if you're at a certain tier, you will get your um, episodes uh, a couple of days early. So yes, for our lovely patrons, um, you you could well be listening to this on uh, before Christmas. Um, Maybe on Christmas, maybe that's how you roll on Christmas morning. You throw a bit of podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs on. But um, for everyone else, this should be around uh, Boxing Day. I mean, if you're not listening to it instead of the Queen's speech, then <laughs> you need to get your priorities in check. Yeah, completely agree. 15-minute speech versus uh, about an hour and a half podcast. Yeah, e- easy toss-up. Right, uh, how can people get in touch with us then, Rob? So um, I'll read these out again. I'm hopefully I'm not going to miss one. Um, you can find us on Twitter by searching at Podcast Pharaohs, Instagram at Podcast Secrets the Pharaohs, Facebook by just searching for Podcast Secrets the Pharaohs, email Podcast Secrets the Pharaohs at gmail.com, TikTok at Peep Show Podcast, although I, I tend to have taken a bit of time off TikTok, so I've not been too active on there um, recently. And I think that is just about it. Um, we're getting a lot of interaction on on Instagram and, and Twitter nowadays. So those are probably the sort of the number one places to, to get hold of us. But yeah, like Tom said, it's always it always really, really nice to get the reviews on on Apple Podcasts. And I tend to pick them up quite a lot on um, like other podcast websites that maybe they don't appear on our Apple ones, but they appear on on other podcast hosting sites so that's really great to see some of the 
the the messages we've had and we've had some some emails and stuff from guys in sort of Tasmania in um, really far flung places in the past couple of weeks it's been really great to see all the interaction we've been having so yeah massive shout out for that yeah absolutely and uh, I'll say again yeah if you're interested in the Patreon as we touched on earlier I will leave a link in the description down below so feel free to check that out if you are at all interested so I think that about wraps things up then as, as we head into Christmas. As I, I said before, you know, have a very Merry Christmas if uh, you're not listening to us before then. And uh, of course, as always, thank you very much for joining me, Rob. Over gold leader. Over gold leader.